In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Back in the fall of 2013, there was a young priest from the Diocese of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, who committed suicide. He had just been ordained that year, 2013, and within six months had taken his own life. We had been at Mount St. Mary's Seminary together. He was just one class year ahead of me, so this happened while I was a deacon in my last year of studies. I remembered him as a friendly and cheerful guy, somewhat introverted, but not a loner. He had actually been my next-door neighbor in the dormitory for my first year or two until he moved to a different floor. There was a funeral mass in his own diocese, and later a memorial mass was offered at the seminary. Many of his recently ordained classmates from the Mount returned for it, and there were a great many people paying their respects at his passing. One of the things that I really appreciated at the time was that his family and his diocese were very open about the fact that this was a suicide. Because I have seen many instances in which families and loved ones shy away from disclosing the fact that a person committed suicide, perhaps feeling that it would destroy the image of the deceased. But I think it's a good thing when people can know the facts, not because we should ever despair at the possibility of a person's salvation, even if they take their own life. But because knowing that fact, we can then pray for the repose of that person's soul all more fervently. I always think our prayers are more efficacious when we have the fullest picture of the situation that we are praying about. As you can imagine, there was a big outpouring of support and sympathy in response to this priest's death in the Mount St. Mary's community, in his diocese, and even all across the country thanks to media and or the internet and social media. People lamented the horrors of depression from which he suffered and how this horrible disease could lead to the suicide of even such a promising young priest. In the aftermath, the seminary even brought in an expert on depression and suicide to talk to us about recognizing the danger signs in ourselves, in our fellow clergy, or in people that we would be called to minister to. I was in for a shock this week, however, because tucked away in the appendix of the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report about priest abuse that came out, I saw his name listed. There was more to the story. What we know now is that just prior to killing himself, he had been confronted by his diocese, following complaints from a family that he was having inappropriate private conversations with her underage daughter on Facebook. The diocesan investigation then revealed that there were some other questionable files on his computer. It was then that he committed suicide. Now, on one level, you could say that his diocese was doing the right thing. They were removing him from ministry and were going to send him for psychiatric treatment. In comparison to many older cases we see in the grand jury report, where suspicions about priests were ignored and their wrongdoings excused or ineffectively dealt with until it was far too late. But then I think back to the aftermath of his suicide, the great outpouring of sympathy for him, precisely because he suffered from depression and gave in to suicide, and I felt betrayed. Betrayed that his diocese allowed this wave of sympathy to be built upon false or at least incomplete premises. What about the girl or her family who knew the fuller truth about his behavior? How would they feel knowing that he was being held up as a figure of sympathy for having succumbed to suicide 
without, without an accounting of the uglier, uglier precipitating factors. This is not to say that I wouldn't have still prayed for the repose of the soul of my brother seminarian. Just as nobody is beyond God's mercy for how they ended their life, neither are there sins for which, that, which a person may commit in this life, which they cannot be forgiven of in the next if they've repented. We can and we should always have hope for and we should always pray for the salvation of all deceased. But in dealing with my own sense of hurt and betrayal from discovering the truth about this priest, I admit that I could not put my finger on a governing principle. I don't want to suggest that we are automatically entitled to know all of the bad things that a deceased person did before we grieve their passing, whether we are talking about priests or laity. But I, as I said, there is just something here that feels wrong in this situation, that his diocese gave us a public picture of a holy young priest who was tragically lost in a struggle with depression, without acknowledging his predatory behavior towards minors that was intertwined with his decision to end his own life. I think there are many parallels between this particular situation and the larger revelations about priest abuse that we saw coming out of Pennsylvania this week, which is to say that it's a confusing, messy, and stomach-turning situation, filled with failure and wrongdoing at every turn, and bereft of truly satisfying explanations as to why all of this happened. I certainly have my own theories about why this crisis came to pass in the church, whether it's the question of why there were seemingly so many clergy in some places that abused minors, to the question of why so many bishops failed to take appropriate action to remove them from ministry. But I'll admit, and if you have any theories of your own, you should also admit that no one can fully explain or account for all of the data points being revealed in Pennsylvania with any theory or that we can explain similar patterns of behavior or failures by priests in other parts of the church. We are rather humbled by the mystery of sin and evil, even in God's holy house. What we do have for certain is today's gospel, because after Jesus explained to his disciples that they will truly consume his body and blood and the bread and wine that he will give them, they still do not understand. But if we read further than our passage from the gospel went today, we would see the disciples saying, this saying is hard. Who can accept it? Yet Jesus doubles down in the face of their doubt and tells them that this mystery is what they will need to accept to be followers of him. St. Peter says to Jesus that he still does not understand what this saying is meant to be, to which Peter admits, but master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And this is why we are here, not for human wisdom or even the comfort of human fellowship or for any easy answers to the questions that trouble us, but to receive the Eucharist that brings everlasting life, an everlasting life in which all that is hidden will be revealed and every tear will be wiped away. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.